ARPA acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and the continuing connection to lands, waters and communities. We pay our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Taking Care, a podcast of APRA and the National Boards. I'm Tash Miles. Today's episode is a literal look into what we're seeing. That's right, we're talking optometry and how our eye health might be changing. The COVID-19 pandemic has led to an increase in reliance on technology for work, study and social connection, and health practitioners are seeing these effects. We're curious about how our new online lives have affected our eyes and whether there are any other trends or anomalies that optometrists are seeing. Joining me for these insights and more are optometrist Tim Martin. I'm an optometrist and graduated about 13 years ago now, or just a touch over. And in my time, I've worked in a couple of um, community practices. The last several years, I've split my time between teaching. So I do about half my week teaching Melbourne University students um, in their clinic, which is run by the students for the public. Um, and then I work in a family community practice as well. I'm a second generation optometrist. So two parents who are optometrists and I tried to resist my genetics for a bit, but um, it turned out that that was the, the career for me and I haven't looked back. And Luke Arundel. I've been an optometrist for a little over 20 years. Um, I've worked uh, pretty much in most of the states of Australia and overseas in Ireland for quite a while. Um, I've got a particular interest in contact lenses, um, fitting uh, advanced or specialised contact lenses, um, whether it's for graft patients or paediatrics for babies with cataracts, things like that. Um, I've got an interest in public health, so I've spent a lot of time working in the Northern Territory. Um, and currently my primary role is as the Chief Clinical Officer at Optometry Australia. So we're an association body that represents 85% of the optometrists around the country. Um, and I also uh, work and teach with Tim um, at the University of Melbourne. We run a, a cornea clinic or a, a specialised contact lens clinic uh, down there for advanced uh, contact lens patients. So we might start, Tim, how has your work changed as an optometrist this year as a result of the pandemic? Within the last year, there were um, obviously quite a few changes, like everybody living with COVID and learning to live with it. The, the first couple of months were definitely interesting times. We were trying to uh, work with the community, but also be safe for everyone. So we're having to adapt how we spaced out appointments, who we were seeing, things like that. Um, and also trying to make guidelines as we went ahead, evidence-based guidelines. Um, there was a sense of frustration at times, you know, felt like we were doing our job with our arms tied behind our back because we couldn't actually be there with, with a person. Our job very much relies on being face-to-face -face with people for a lot of what we do, which made, made it difficult. Um, but as a profession, we are quite adaptable historically. So, so we did do well with finding ways to work within the, um, the rules that we had playing by for everyone's safety. The, as the months went by, there was more a sense of sort of calm. So working in Victoria, we had two lots of lockdown. So I think between lockdown one and lockdown two, at least we learned some lessons from the first one. Um, so by the second one, we were ready to implement some of our plans and, and hit the ground running. Um, where we're at now actually feels quite normal. This, this is more spacing of appointments, more cleaning of things. We already had good hygiene, but we're extra good at our hygiene now. It's amazing how many surfaces you have to swipe. Um, but we are in a, a smooth routine and patients and students where I work um, or staff that I work with all feel quite happy with how things are going. 
know, for me, obviously working in the contact lens space, infection control is critical anyway. Um, as Tim mentioned, it's obviously forefront of mind for uh, the whole profession. Um, but, you know, really ramping things up this year, it, it's been a, everything's been a game changer, obviously. You know, we do uh, get very close to patients. It's part of the job. Um, so our proximity to patients is, a, is an issue. Um, being in a small enclosed space uh, with a patient for extended periods of time. Um, you know, obviously we know ventilation's a, a key concern now as well. Um, and it's been a, an, an incredible year, um, you know, in as far as seeing uh, things change um, and the industry, the profession, and, and, and indeed all the professions uh, adapt as we go. Um, for the Optometry Association, we uh, started a, a COVID hub, uh, which we made accessible to the entire profession, uh, not just members. Um, you know, due to this uh, obvious need for um, uh, quality evidence-based research. And of course, with a, a novel, uh, coronavirus or a novel organism, uh, you know, the evidence-based research simply doesn't exist. So in the early days, you know, um, across all professions, I'm sure, you know, it was uh, incredibly challenging. Um, our masks page, you know, is up to version 59. Um, so, you know, I, I feel that we're, uh, you know, we've changed it so many times, uh, myself and my colleague that we're responsible for the mask page, we've got a lot more gray hair. Uh, this year than we did uh, last year, purely trying to stay on top of what is best practice. So, you know, that's been uh, first and foremost, probably the, the biggest change. Um, we've obviously tried to uh, assist the profession uh, moving forward. There's been um, working groups with uh, ARPA, um, not ARPA, the Allied Health Professionals Association, um, and, you know, working in conjunction, of course, with uh, ARPA to get the, the message out to optometrists has, has been our priority. Um, in as far as keeping patients and practitioners safe. If we switch a little bit to the kind of patient perspective, I mean, I, I, I'm a patient myself and I live in Melbourne and I found that um, I was a glasses wearer this time last year, but after having to wear a mask with glasses, I switched to contact lenses. Um, am I the only one? What else have you seen patients come in asking for and needing, Tim? It's been a real mixed bag and I think it's because everyone's working in different environments so it's created new problems um, but for some people it's been actually an improvement, it's been a solution as well to some of their pre-existing problems from office-based environment. I'm with you, I'm wearing contacts for the first time in my life, I've never been motivated before and with this nose masks don't work so, um, so it's been a game changer for me. Other people working from home, happily sitting at home wearing their glasses, have gone out of contact lenses because they don't have to wear a mask because they're, they're on Zoom meetings all the time. We've had a lot of health professionals call um, about, you know, the change from having to wear masks, particularly a N95 or a stiffer respirator, um, was causing problems with vision um, for these health professionals uh, because they were wearing glasses. For uh, people who wear progressive or graduated lenses, uh, your optometrist will, will very carefully measure where your pupil is or, or the part that you are looking through. And what we found talking to some of these health professionals, particularly the hospital workers, is that, you know, they were now wearing an N95 respirator and, and popping their glasses um, over the top of the respirator and they were suddenly looking through the wrong portion 
uh, of their glasses and, and, and vision was blurry. So, you know, some of them thought they were going a bit crazy because, you know, vision would be clear when the mask was off, vision blurry with the, the mask on. And, and it's just often a very simple adjustment. Um, you know, at, at your local optometrist, we can change where the nose pads sit if you have nose pads or, or move the frame up or down to get you looking through the right spot again. And, you know, and if it is a matter of, uh, you know, not being able to um, uh, fix it so that it's perfect all the time. Some people had a, a pair of glasses made up that were purpose built for wearing over the top of a respirator or mask because the glasses are sitting in a slightly different position. Um, my wife and I, last year, we had twins in the middle of the year as if the year wasn't complicated enough. Um, and I remember being in special care for a few days and going in there and all of the midwives and nurses had their glasses down their nose. And this was before glass, uh, masks had become mandatory in day-to-day -day life in, in Victoria at that time. Um, and me being an optometrist, I couldn't switch it off. I kept looking at them wanting to adjust their glasses or often to move, move them up. And it was all of three weeks later when we were all wearing masks, I was like, aha, they were ahead of the curve. So um, so the nurses and midwives, I think were onto it and probably some of the doctors that are used to wearing masks more regularly. but definitely across other health professionals that is an issue as Luke said a millimetre here or there can be the difference with a multifocal um, so a, a simple fix but a, a novel problem because of the, the year that we had. You know across the profession you know we, we've seen things that simply haven't existed before uh, an acronym, acronym MADE or mask associated dry eye um, this just hasn't been an issue so you know this is a whole new phenomenon for uh, 2020 um, and, and very briefly, um, you know, in terms of explaining it, uh, you know, a, a, a patient uh, is wearing a mask, you know, if air escapes through the top um, uh, part of that mask, particularly when it doesn't have a good seal, and this is probably more patients rather than health professionals, you would hope they have a good seal, um, that air um, uh, moving across the surface of the eye and the tear film um, can lead to evaporation. Uh, of that tear film. Um, and in some cases it, it can cause a, a patient dry eye symptoms. So, uh, you know, we, we've come up with these new problems that simply didn't exist uh, 12 months ago that have needed um, obviously management and, and solving and, and to be addressed in a, a few different ways. Other things that we've had, uh, you know, patients or consumers calling in about, um, you know, dry eye across the board um, seem to have been more of a problem. Uh, in pandemic times. Um, and, you know, as, as Tim alluded to, a, a lot of that is simply a, an increase in screen-based uh, use. Uh, what we know from the, the research on the optometry side of things is, you know, for those periods of intense concentration, we blink less. Um, and that by itself can certainly um, exacerbate dry eye, particularly when a patient uh, has underlying uh, dry eye um, symptoms, it can certainly make that worse. Uh, some of the other countries overseas are, are noticing things like an increase in injuries um, in children from uh, alcohol-based hand sanitizer. Um, you know, a lot of those uh, dispensing stations are at eye height um, for little kids. And, um, uh, you know, often it's just as simple as they're, they're getting the hand sanitizer and then rubbing it into their eyes. So. Um, you know, some quite significant injuries coming through in the um, literature and the, the papers from um, sanitizer. They're talking about, you know, a tenfold increase um, in injuries in that area. There have been waves of patients with different problems. So with first lockdown, people were scrambling to get technology for home, you know, rushing to office works, trying to buy the last monitor they could get. So with that first lockdown, we found we were doing a lot of over the phone advice. We we're having people making phone calls and it was a time where it was a, acute 
care only. We weren't, we we're only allowed to see emergency patients. Um, so, so we were spending a lot of time on the phone helping out with that. A bit of a tough time for us too, because unfortunately we didn't get a, a telehealth um, item number through Medicare. So uh, it meant for long-standing patients, often a lot of them on pension healthcare cards, we had to do, do pro bono um, telehealth consultations for them to help out as well. We've had long lockdown periods. Does that have any, like being inside, does that have any impact on our eye health? Something else that we've seen or that's come to light um, just very, very recently um, that's pandemic related and, and certainly may have, you know, significant implications um, for the eye health industry. Um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, there was a paper published uh, in one of the ophthalmology journals. Um, and it was a, a very large scale study um, of childhood myopia in China. So 123,000 kids, um, they had been uh, measuring a prescription for these kids year in, year out. Um, and they noted a, a small increase um, in prescription uh, uh, each year. They started in 2015, uh, a small increase in myopia or short sightedness. Um, but what's you know really significant is they'd noted a, a 400% increase in 2020. Um, and that's uh, what they feel coinciding with um, the lockdown, uh, which was a very harsh lockdown. You know, a lot of research and, and some of that research has certainly been done by Australian researchers, which is awesome, uh, has linked um, uh, light or time spent outside um, with the development and progression of myopia. So there's um, obviously being uh, undergoing a lockdown and being confined inside. Um, you know, there's a, a theory there that that's had a, um, a flow on effect to the development of uh, myopia or short sightedness in, this, in these kids. Um, the research at the, at the moment talks about um, uh, recommending two hours outside a day um, for children uh, as a, a way of potentially um, slowing down the onset or, or uh, progression of myopia. So um, anecdotally, um, there's certainly been uh, reports of um, kids coming in earlier um, to get glasses for myopia or short-sightedness. Um, and it's a, an issue for us because we know that that's the, the way the world's heading. Um, you know, again, Australian research tells us half the world's population is going to be short-sighted by 2050. And it's not just about uh, kids wearing glasses. It's about high myopia as well. Uh, where there's a risk of uh, permanent blindness through things like cataract, um, retinal problems and, and glaucoma. So, you know, certainly of concern for us, um, of interest for us as well, because there are techniques and tools at our disposal now to slow down the progression of myopia. But it'll be really interesting to see whether those trends um, are observed over here, uh, particularly in Victoria, whether we end up with a, um, a generation that's had a bit of a kickstart in uh, myopia, um, uh, as we come back to school, uh, testing and, and see what's happening with the prescriptions of the, the little kids here. As Luke said, myopia is a big issue moving forwards into the future. And there's a lot in the optometry literature about it. Every second journal article at the moment is about myopia or short-sightedness. Um, we, there are certain things we know about and certain things we're still learning, but the biggest concern from our point of view is the eye health risks later in life with um, the development of it. The main reason people develop it is their eye grows longer than it should. So it's an accelerated growth of the eyeball. We're only talking millimetres or fractions of millimetres longer than it should be, but um, that can make a significant difference in their risk profile later in their life as an, an adult going into later life. Um, it, 
anecdotally, I was seeing more kids coming in with short-sightedness um, as we got out of that the second lockdown. So the tail end of last year, there was an increase. I was a little bit cautious with that because it might just be the kids that have changed the most that are the ones wanting to come in. So there might be selection bias in the ones that are, that are coming in to see me. But I'm lucky enough at the university to have a machine where I can measure eye length growth. And there had been a significant jump in some of these kids that I've been tracking for a number of years. So this is a really small sample size. Um, following that, as Luke mentioned, the, the very big study out of China came out. So um, we'll wait, wait and see. There isn't Australian data yet. I've got a little glimmer of hope because there is seasonal variation in short-sightedness progression too. So people tend to progress less in summer, more in winter. Our lockdown was in winter. So maybe I'm just being hopeful, but I'm hoping it has slightly less impact losing a little bit of time in winter, which wouldn't have been big out time, outdoor time anyway, but time will tell. Um, so I, I think moving forward, we will find out more about this. With outdoor time, there is a, a well-known link from a, a big Australian study um, that does show, as Luke said, a couple of hours a day is, is protective and lowers your risk of developing short-sightedness. So if you're a six or a seven-year-old and you spend an extra couple of hours outdoors, you're much less likely to be short-sighted as a teenager. So um, moving forwards, this is a, a big key bit of advice for, for younger children. A little bit more debatable once you are already short-sighted. The, there's some conflicting data out there, um, but still good for your overall general health to get some outdoor time whilst being sun smart um, and slip slop slapping and sliding on some sunglasses. Today we are talking about one of the health professions that ARPA regulates, optometry, but there are 15 other professions. A recent episode was a conversation with dental practitioners about their changing landscapes. Let's hear from Nita Nikolovsky about the changes she has seen in her practice as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. The biggest thing is managing those people that could potentially be COVID positive within an environment, but keeping everybody safe, including the staff that are treating them. Did that snippet leave you keen for more? Search for Taking Care in your podcast player when you're done with this episode. And let's get back to Luke and Tim. As we're moving into 2021 and things are going kind of back to normal, but potentially still working from home, potentially transitioning. If you had a billboard, what would be your advice that you'd like to tell the public? A little, I suppose, saying or, or, or rule, uh, you know, that we've been touting for, for ages. You know, we call it the 2020 rule. Um, and maybe we should relabel it because 2020 is a, you know, a year that most people are keen to forget. But for us, you know, that's the imperial notation of, of perfect vision, um, 20 over 20 and we're in the metric system, six over six. Um, but, you know, it, it's a very simple rule and it's, you know, um, whether it's office-based workers or, or kids, it doesn't really matter. But, you know, the, the critical thing is, you know, every 20 minutes, um, we, we really encourage someone to look up from their screen, look into the distance, for 20 seconds. Um, it's as simple as that. That helps to relax um, the focusing muscles in the eyes, you know, do a little break and, and take a real break every hour, you know, getting up and away from your workstation. I tell people to get a glass of water. Um, you know, as Tim mentioned, uh, we had a lot of previous, a lot of folk with um, dry eye in offices from air conditioning and things like that, you know. So um, having a drink of water obviously keeps you hydrated and it's going to make you get up to go to the toilet as well. But, you know, it's that 2020 real giving those eyes that little break or that frequent break um, that I think it's simple, simple, easy and effective. And, and you know, any, everyone can take that one and, and run with it. When you are doing computer work, often what I tell patients as well is when you have a rest break that isn't pull out your smartphone and see what's happening on Instagram 
Instagram or Twitter because we are all just slaves to to our accounts. Um, so um, even more so for teenagers and, and young children, but across the board, that that's um, advice because sometimes people think a break from work is looking at your phone, but that's not a break for your eyes. The research would, would tend to indicate that, you know, 90% of vision loss uh, can be prevented or treated, um, uh, you know, with early diagnosis. And it's just so, so critical, you know, many of the, the things for optometry and for your eyes in general, when we're talking about good health are, are symptomless or painless in the early stages, you know, things like glaucoma, um, you know, and they can be um, treated often quite easily. It's just a matter of knowing that there's a problem there. Most eye conditions are preventable or treatable, but not all of them are reversible if we pick them up too late. So getting accurate diagnosis in a timely fashion is really critical because of the restrictions we had over the last year. There were a number of patients that had chronic conditions that we were comfortable to postpone and push back. But when you've done that three or four times, when does that patient now become an acute, more urgent patient? Um, I have come across, unfortunately, a couple of cases where things should have been treated earlier despite um, our best efforts. Um, so a very lucid with it, 90 uh, something year old in a nursing home, um, had, had had her regular eye examinations as she should do prior to COVID. During COVID time, she had deteriorating vision in one eye, commented to the staff there, um, tried to communicate with us and we weren't able to get access to her. She wasn't able to get out of the nursing home because they had quite strict lockdown. She was unfortunate enough to have a similar episode in the other eye uh, a few weeks later. So she actually developed wet macular degeneration. This is a condition that the there is a treatment for if we get appropriate treatment within a week or two, but the prognosis is much worse if that's delayed. So unfortunately, she, she has had access to treatment, but probably a couple of months later than it should have been, and now very guarded in terms of what her outcome is going to be. Um, and a lovely 90-something-year-old who, who know, loves reading and, and seeing her grandchildren and now is going to have reduced vision because of the situation. Um, I'm interested to see and hopeful that, that I'm wrong, but I think in the future we might find there are more of these cases that pop up. Um, similar to in you know medical profession where there's been a decrease in diagnosis of cancer. Cancer hasn't gone away, it's just people aren't getting diagnosed. Um, so there are bound to be things that we're going to find over time that are, that are popping up that should have been seen. I hope that they're the exception. I hope there are not many and everyone has been doing their best effort to triage things and to get things in when they can. Um, but whether it be lack of access to care or the patients not wanting to come in for, you know, fear of their general health as well. Um, there have been the, these potential issues that we might find as time goes along. We obviously monitor Medicare statistics and, you know, trends and, and in the last financial year. So keeping in mind, we still had a very extended uh, period of lockdown after that in, in Victoria. Uh, but, you know, optometry across the country, you know, was down 630,000 consultations, you know, in as far as uh, that, you know, that many uh, patients not having been seen, you know, obviously worries us. Um, uh, uh, Organisations and bodies like Glaucoma Australia, um, you know, tell us that there's 150,000 undiagnosed um, Australians with glaucoma out there. And in many cases, uh, those patients are being diagnosed just through a routine checkup um, at their local optometrist. So, you know, not only have we had uh, patients delaying care that have 
a problem. We also haven't had that, um, you know, general detection of disease in the community being undertaken by optometrists purely due to lockdown. And obviously it was important that we locked down. No one's uh, denying that. And, and optometrists across the country have worked very hard with that backlog, you know, managing or triaging the important patients first. Um, but it's a great concern, you know, people de delaying care. Um, and a lot of those conditions, you know, diabetes and, and whatnot, they're, they're the ones that obviously are, need to be that little bit um, uh, careful with comorbidities and, and COVID. So there has been hesitation um, with some patients in coming back to care. But, you know, certainly would, would like to reassure um, anyone in that category that that's listening, that um, obviously optometrists are, are taking infection control very seriously moving forward. Um, we had almost a, a third of optometrists offering um, telehealth consultations, you know, during the depths of the lockdown period. Um, and, you know, enhanced capabilities to do that via video conferencing, you know, becoming more of a reality these days. But, you know, the, the technology has improved and, you know, we saw last year some things like uh, visual fields um, uh, being able to be rolled out uh, remotely. So that's obviously um, detecting side vision loss. Um, uh, you know, we've had other kind of um, uh, tools and, and techniques at our disposal to, to assist as well. Um, and in some cases, it, it's just been um, a triage, you know, being able to perhaps help, help keep people out of emergency that don't need to be there um, and making sure those that do need to be seen are, are seen um, as appropriate. So um, that's certainly an, another area that um, things have changed for optometry and, and many optometrists have indicated that they uh, can, do intend to continue um, with uh, telehealth on an ongoing basis. Luke, you mentioned talking about how uh, practitioners were adapting and you'd also talked about innovations um, that that you've seen, uh, technological innovations. On reflection, have, have you, Tim, thought about how it's changed your approach or priorities um, as, as a practitioner as you've navigated this kind of strange time? Doing remote care and things like that, definitely better than nothing. Um, but a key part of our job description. So the metris part of optometrists is measurement and you can't measure a patient if you don't have them in front of you um, anywhere near as well. So as Luke said, there are evolving technologies to try to do some home tests and some home care, but they're, they're still, they're definitely getting there. The visual field um, app that he was referring to is doing quite a nice job. Some of the other things are still in their infancy. So they're coming through and evolving as time goes along. Um, while we were talking about telehealth, I was thinking about one of the boys that I see, a young boy who um, is unlucky enough to get a, an inflammatory eye condition at the front of his eye and he needs to come in for very regular care and ongoing anti-inflammatory eye drops. Um, and his mum is so well trained in describing what she's seeing now and so well trained in using her iPhone to take a photo of his eyes. I can manage him before I actually examine him. I still examine him when he comes in now because I have to, because that's appropriate. But um, but she is better trained than most of my students in describing what she's seeing. So um, there there has been an upskilling of parents and and a training of the community, and and that side of things does mean we can actually um, work work a bit smarter and a bit faster. Um, but but the the core of what we do, I feel like, has gone back for the most part to where we were um, pre COVID. Um, just with a bit more spacing. Great, and, and Luke. Yeah, for for the association, you know, we're keen to take 
some of the silver linings from COVID and, and to run with them. You know, it's been a, an excellent opportunity for us. Uh, you know, we, we've gone back and, and reviewed uh, comprehensively our infection control guidelines. You know, they're only last done in 2017, but, you know, what a great time to go back to, to basics and rewrite them with pandemics in mind. You know, we're also looking at what are we going to do to future-proof things. You know, this, for better or for worse, may not be the last one. Uh, you know, as Tim mentioned, things like uh, some of those opportunities in, in telehealth, um, remote optometry. You know, we were a, a very geographically diverse country. Um, and, you know, if we could get better services into remote locations um, through those means, you know, we're, we're certainly interested in exploring those, you know, and, and taking them further. Uh, some of our sister organisations overseas, you know, have a green, amber, red uh, alert system. Um, and it's obviously based around community um, transmission um, in a pandemic uh, style event, um, just essentially to hit the ground running faster you know obviously 2020 was a learning curve for everyone and you know I would very much hope next time there is um, something like that that the the lessons that have been learned you know can be applied across the board for future proofing um, for other inc incidents uh, further on down the track where um, it would be you know is it airborne contact droplet transmission and therefore we will be able to adapt the protocols um, and the systems uh, that need to be put in place, uh, whether it's PPE, whether it's triaging, whether it's um, aerosol generating procedures, those kind of things appropriately, and more important, very quickly, because um, we've seen how, how fast these things can run away with us, uh, on us, if we, if we don't get on top of them. Thank you, both Tim and Luke, for sharing your stories, insights, observations, and of course, really great, useful tips for, for patients. Thank you. Thank you. For any patients out there, you know, interested in eye health, uh, patient-centric website, it's got plenty of eye tips. So, you know, it kind of takes a, a few of these tips and, and runs with them. So it's goodvisionforlife.org.au. Plenty of little stories uh, about some of the things that we've talked about and, and plenty of advice on, on keeping your eyes uh, in good health for, the, for your entire life. It's your, your most precious sense and it's worth looking after. Whether this episode served as a reminder to take breaks um, from your screen to visit your optometrist for that checkup or to pause to consider just how many ways the pandemic is affecting our communities. Thank you for listening. You can keep listening and, and subscribing. It's easy. You just search for Taking Care in your podcast player to find us, then subscribe. And why not listen to another episode in our catalogue while you're there? Um, we'd love to hear any feedback from you. Our door is open at communications at See you next time.